So the reading tonight is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You keep your Bibles open. I know it's been a long day for some of us. It's our third meeting, so um, I think it would be nice to get a shorter sermon, wouldn't it? If you agree with us, you wouldn't complain at all. Sure. So, we're doing this series about lives changed by the power of the Lord Jesus, and now we've come to this rather um, embarrassing um, experience. So, let's try to enter into this and see what the Lord has to say to us. To begin with, um, with a quote, which will come up, there's Eli Weissel. Um, a survivor of uh, the Holocaust. Um, he was in uh, Buchenwald and uh, was um, instrumental in documenting the Nazi atrocities, not least because a lot of his family perished in these uh, concentration camps. And looking back, and maybe I would read into this quote, perhaps reflecting on 
the tendency for us to be superficial in our experiences, he would say, no one is as capable of gratitude as one who has emerged from the kingdom of night. And as Christian people, if we were to have a deeper awareness of the kingdom of night that we have come from into the kingdom of light, then maybe our gratitude to the Lord and to each other would be much deeper and more sustained. That is the application of the parable and this uh, social embarrassment that we have in Luke chapter 7. Verse 47, it connects with that statement. I'll just read it to you. Verse 47, Jesus gives this parable. Um, he's given the parable and now he says, giving the application. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, how many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he or she who has been forgiven little, loves little, or has a little awareness of the sheer magnitude and generosity of God's grace to us, whatever our background. So let's come to this uh, quite, quite quickly then and uh, see what uh, this has to teach us tonight. This woman, we don't know her name, but clearly she'd been known within these close-knit communities for her past. Certainly she was known by the people who were invited to dinner, and her reputation went ahead of her. The way she behaved towards the guest of honour must have seemed, can I say, sensuous, <coughs> shocking, and embarrassing. And if we were there, we probably would look around and think, ooh. Touching Jesus, kissing his feet. I was thinking, I'd never kissed any of these feet. Don't think I would want to. Massaging them with perfume and letting down her hair and wrapping that around his feet. It is bound to create a stir and not a little gossip. Now, whatever the reaction or the interpretation that uh, we might uh, have. Jesus does nothing to reject the attention she lavishes on him. What would you do? Well, for a start, you wouldn't do it, but if you were the recipient of it. Indeed, he rebukes his host and perhaps the other guests for their attitude. Indeed, what Jesus says here is this, that she has more than compensated for their poor hospitality. And the incident now becomes an opportunity to speak about 
how much we value forgiveness, the debt that we owe to God. So we make the connection, as I asked with the opening hymn, Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. I wonder if she's doing that. Well, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should think? If I know that, well, who like me? Who indeed? So the woman's love and gratitude is not in doubt. Let me give some terror for a moment. Perhaps as, as to why she does this, okay? Perhaps she had observed that Jesus had not been shown the warmth and the welcome that she felt he deserved. So she compensates for that. Or perhaps she's bringing her past to Jesus. And in this symbolic way, like Psalm 103, laying at his feet her tribute, her love, her devotion. Perhaps, we don't know. But she does it. And it isn't all that important about her motive. What is important is how Jesus interprets this. He receives her gift fully, without reservation. An outline of this, if it is a sermon as such, is a very simple one, because there are three central characters here. There's this sinful woman, the woman with a dodgy past. There's this cynical man, and there is the saving Lord. Very simple. Before we do that, I know there's some brief heading. Um, a while ago, and uh, if Philip, he was just quiet at this point, that would be good. Not to steal my thunder. Do you remember I asked and said that about 65%, 60, 65, maybe even 70% of people in the United Kingdom, if they were ever to talk about faith or religion in the United Kingdom, would say that they would be S-B-N-R. Do you remember what S-B-N-R? Matthew. How old are you, Matthew? Not that good. Matthew wants to be a preacher when you get him a club. That's good. Thank you. You saved other people getting embarrassed, Matthew, because I don't think they knew. So that's, that's really good. Okay. So I would want to suggest to you, okay, think about this. Spiritual but not religious, I think would apply to this woman. Okay? But let's Turn that round, and I want you to think about this. The other guest, because there's two characters, there's Jesus, this simple woman, and this religious person. So if she was SBNR, I suggest to you the Pharisee, Simon by name, is RBNS. What is that? Yes. Religious, but not spiritual. 
right. You got that? Good. Are you okay, James? Yes. Okay, if you should ask your husband, that's a good thing to do. It. Um, right. You've got, the, you, you've got the connection. I want you to think now, and it's not an either or, in your own mind, which are you most like? Where would you put the spiritual, where would you put the religion? Think now independently. I'm suggesting to you that SDNR would apply to the woman in terms of a response, and certainly with Simon, RBNS for sure, with his response. Right. Somebody's folded their arms like this and say, I'm not going to say Okay. What do you think? Any? Okay, well, you don't need I hope, first of all, enough just to make you think. Because the whole point of this exercise is this. How do we relate to people who might worship differently, respond differently among Christian people or within a mixed group? Or are we so closed and tight as a drum that there's no response from us at all? We just say pass. No comment. That's not terribly helpful, is it? It certainly isn't helpful to the next generation, your children and grandchildren. So much is good in you for remembering from before. If you want to offer a suggestion, if I was to um, say, okay, I've asked you and you haven't told me, you're not volunteering, I'll volunteer. I'm a bit of both and it depends how you trust me, that's the trouble, isn't it? But, Cumulatively, I think I'm more in danger in the latter than the former. In other words, religious but not terribly spiritual. And it's easy to do that. Very easy. Trust me. Too easy. No one is as capable of gratitude as one who has emerged from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And it should challenge our true spirituality, whatever we think about religion. Well, then, be quick, and it is, trust me, it is quick, we'll run through, through this and divide the passage First of all, the sinful woman. You can picture the scene. Uh, it, it's not sitting at the table like this. It's reclining low. And uh, their feet would be sitting out at an angle. Or pressing or reclining. Almost, um, if you like, uh, vertical. Yes? Thank you. I knew that was wrong. I know. It's a heat. It's a heat. Um, so they're reclining. It's the cool of the evening. And it's, it, it, it's open. It's not like, don't picture in your mind somebody's house, somebody comes in without being invited. When we went to the wedding of Senegal uh, and Bethlehem in Senegal, there were at least 60 extra guests who wanted to be fed. And that's the culture. 
and they were looking on. They waited for the most part until some of the guests were fed, then we had to wait until they were fed. Because their expectation was in a society like this, and it is an interesting feature of Islamic culture, how open and friendly it can be, and Western culture, how closed and isolated and individual we can be. And really we ought to be much more hospitable than what we are. We've got nice houses, and we live well, and it's a blessing to invite people into our homes. But this isn't into the home, through the door, on the threshold. Sort of a, an extended area where people are looking on. That's normal. And then, this woman does something. She's expressing, to a best one can tell, uh, a change of thought. And in a moment, we're going to borrow from daily to express the change of thought. From cynicism to true spirituality, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Change my attitude. Well, she has for sure lived a sinful life. That was her past. And she's expressing... She might have heard Jesus say, and many of the commentators say, it's close to that reference to Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. So she took him at his word. She finds where Jesus is and is astonished at how indifferent and rather rigid and detached people were to him. And maybe she overcompensated. The pendulum, I guess, swung too far. That's the simple one. Well, there's so much we could say. The second one is here that the, the cynical man brought it. False. At least he did invite Jesus, which was uh, a risky thing, particularly for a Pharisee to do. To associate with Jesus wasn't uh, to help your uh, social well-being or your um, contacts in business. Pharisees were very wealthy people. In verses 39 to 43, I think you, I, you could sympathize, at least to some extent. Simon is embarrassed. He's embarrassed by this woman. And he is disapproving of Jesus. You see that in verse 39, let me read it here. So, he's embarrassed by this woman, he's disapproving of Jesus. When the Pharisee, verse 39, who had invited him, saw this, what this woman had done, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, Jesus' reputation had gone ahead of him, he, he would know who's touching him. And what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. You don't do that. People in jail tonight for touching and all this sort of stuff and molesting. And but this isn't a moral thing, this is a religious thing. You don't do this. But I guess his real problem here is this his prejudice has blinded him, blinded him to Jesus. In a sense, first of all, his prejudice has blinded himself to his need. You can see her needs, for sure, they're obvious. That path, that's a dodgy path. 
but not his he's religious. Maybe he doesn't need to be spiritual. He's religious. He's top draw religious. It blinded him about his needs. And secondly, it blinded him to this woman and her expression of love. Cynicism had blighted that to see no good in his soul. Just drawing attention to itself. That's what Eli did to Hannah when she was praying in the temple. She said she was drunk. And sometimes church leaders and prophets and all to know better. That we don't recognize true spirituality when we see it. So his prejudice blinded him to himself and his needs, to this woman and her love and her worship. But sadly, to Jesus who comes to save sinners. And you say, I mean, what are you going to have to do with Jesus now? Look, 339 again then. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Hey, hold on, if this man were a prophet, much less than a child, if he were, well, he would know such an enemy. He wouldn't touch over the bath for. But here he is, look at this. Now, you couldn't have more polarized reaction than that. Let me ask you a question. What is, what's the real issue? And the real issue is this, I hope you don't miss out to this. It, it is not the amount of sin in her life, this sinful woman, and her past. But let's change that bit. The real issue is not the amount of sin in my life or your life, but the awareness of sin in my heart and your heart. The heart of the problem. Um, I'll just quote a hymn. It's a great hymn. The tune isn't very good, and uh, we, we might have sang it tonight, but uh, here it is. What's the progression of this hymn? Lord, I was blind. I could not see in your mad visage any grace. I looked at Jesus, couldn't see anything in me, like Simon. But now the beauty of your face in radiant vision dawns on me. Lord, I was deaf, I could not hear. The thrilling message of music of your voice. But now I hear you and rejoice, and all your spoken words are clear. Lord, I was dumb, I could not speak. The grace and glory of your name. But now has touched with living flame my lips, will speak for Jesus' sake. Lord, I was deaf, I could not move. My lifeless soul from sin's dark grave, but now the power of life you gave has raised me up to know your love. And then there's the summing up the Lord. You made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the dead to live, and now I've raised the chain of my captivity. I would hope that Simon would sing this thing after his encounter with Jesus. The point is that both the religious sinner and the irreligious sinner need forgiveness. That's the point. And lastly, a saving Lord. Look at verses 44 to 50. We, we unread the parable because, but now it's more the application. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, and here's irony in, in its, at its best, 
It's just really Jesus. Not being sarcastic, but ironic. I hope you don't miss the impact of it. Look, do you see this woman? Hey, he's been staring at her all the time. Do you see this woman? Does he see her? Tell me about it. I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet. Uh, we went to Pauline's house this afternoon and little, what's her name? Felicity. Felicity came to all of us and washed our hands with cold water because that's what they do in Burundi. And she washed somebody's feet because they didn't have any socks or shoes on. That's what they do. It's not just, just, it's a cultural thing. Why didn't they do that to Jesus? Why do they have such a low view of him? You see what he's saying? You just give me water for my feet, walking along the dusty road. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. What a contrast that is. He doesn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Don't kiss my cheek in a cultural way. One of the things I first never forget when I went to Poland was in that men they kissed you three times and they had about four days growth and they were like kissing sandpaper. <laughs> Not true. But they do that in Poland. They did they do that, that's how they greet us. How standoffish can you be? You did not put oil on my head, but she has put perfume on my feet. And that's the application, therefore. I tell you how many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but she has been forgiven little, loved little. A little view of your salvation is a pitiful thing. And the application, cynicism, erodes love and inhibits spontaneous expression of worship and gratitude put you into a sort of straight jump. Repentance, however, is the opposite. Now, repentance doesn't erode love, it creates love. Openness, joy, and expression. That's one of the reasons why I asked Elizabeth, should we express ourselves more? There's a reason for that. Maybe we don't express ourselves enough. Simon's attitude exposed to a best we can tell the state of his heart. And the lesson, much love was a sign of much forgiveness. And of course, by definition, little love was a sign of a little awareness of forgiveness. And what does Jesus say? Well, we can forgive each other faults and we need to do it more. We cannot forgive sins. That is the prerogative of God Almighty. And so, he says in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Why didn't he say it at times? He probably didn't think he needed to. And that is a great sadness. The other guests began to ask him and themselves, Who is this that even forgives things? Who indeed? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. 
go in peace in the peace of the Lord it's, it's lovely isn't it a wonderful thing I don't know if you read much of uh, John Newton that amazing hymn writer wrote amazing grace as he got older and there's a lot being said today about um, dementia and Alzheimer's and so forth as he's getting older he was concerned that he was a disciplined writer and thinker uh, he was beginning to forget scriptures that he memorized. The trouble right? And he says, I have forgotten many things. But these two things I will never forget, God willing. I was a great sinner. And I had a great saviour. It's good, isn't it? Take it with you to the grave and for sure. In your last breath beyond into glory itself. We're going to pray and I want you to join me and it's taken from Psalm 66 uh, and let this be our text borrowed from uh, Psalm 66 16 to 20 is that the whole of it then? yes it is thank you so okay let us to make our response to read it carefully and we'll close in worship. So, let's read it together. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer, or withheld his love from me. This woman could pray that. I would hope Simon eventually would. I hope we do. And count it a great blessing. So we're going to respond now, the group are going to come and just take this Borrow this from David as a prayer creating me a clean heart and then the group will close our worship and Father, we thank you for the time that we have spent this evening and your presence. We thank you for the message that we've heard. And we pray that, like the woman, we too would respond with emotion to you, with the fullness of our heart. We would see the depths of our sin and the depth of your righteousness and the forgiveness that you bring to us. So we thank you and we rejoice. We do say, Great is the Lord. And we bring you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's share the words of uh, the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the salvation of the Holy Spirit be with us all.